0: Good morning again, church family. Appreciate you being here. Sunday school hour, and glad to see it well attended. I do want to mention a couple of things, as I usually do in Sunday school hour. I kind of do a little update. Uh, first of all, um, our uh, Corvette spend, has spent 14 months in the Corvette National Museum in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And when we checked it into the museum, the curator, Derek Moore, uh, I, I, he knew I was a minister of the gospel, and I said, how far can I take this? And he said, as far as you want to take it. And I had anticipated he would do that. And so I had a beautiful stainless steel pedestal done up with a beautiful uh, description of the car on that pedestal, just like a lectern, and uh, and then a QR code about so big. So you could come three feet away. You could take your smartphone QR code. It would take you... To the website it would give you the gospel a four minute walk around a DVD of the car and uh, get the truth to people so uh, while i 'm working it was working all right at the seven days a week that thing and our website was getting hit I was mailing out DVDs so very much a blessing uh, and so uh, that' is one of the reasons the car isn't with me second of all uh, we now are uh, going to be we 're going to be grandparents of our 11th grandchild our 11th one is on the way. And um, we'll be born in July, down in the Baltimore, Maryland area. And that will officially put us at 11 grandchildren, 7 and under. 7 and under. Some of you haven't computed. 7 and under, all right? We're the family reunion in August. Not in our motor home. Uh-huh. Be in a huge house down in Pigeon Forge. We're renting it for a week. They're all coming in. People say, what is that like? Grandpa becomes the zookeeper. Because I've got every personality. We've got benevolent thugs. We've got velociraptors. We've got drama queens. I mean, we've got everything you can think of. And uh, so, uh, but every one of them is being raised in the house of God. And the nurture and admonition of the Lord, better men than me do not have that. And we're very humbled by that. Thirdly, pray for us. In about a month, we have a unique opportunity. I was supposed to be at Parris Island, South Carolina, preaching to all 1,900 recruits. Command structure at Parris Island just changed things. They allow only two outside speakers per year now. One of them is Tim Lee, if you know who Tim Lee is, the wheelchair Marine, and the the other one I didn't recognize, so I was bumped out of the rotation to come and preach to the Marines. But in place of that, I'll be down at Marine Corps Barracks, Washington, D.C., in about a month for Fourth of July weekend. I'll be working with Pastor Brad Wells. He's two blocks from Marine Corps Barracks. I don't know if you're familiar with Brad Wells, 24 of the Marines in Marine Corps barracks attend his church. And um, we'll be there for the Friday night evening parade. Afterwards, Deb and I, with Pastor Wells and his wife, will be meeting with the Marines individually behind the scenes and then hoping to see them come out to services. So pray for that weekend, 4th of July weekend, Marine Corps barracks, Washington, D.C. And we're looking forward to that opportunity to impact those young men and women for the Lord, all right? Take your Bibles this morning, and let's go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, had a wonderful first early morning service, and if you're here in Sunday school and you weren't here for that, please stay over if you can. It's a very challenging thought, and if you say, well, how challenging, ask all of us that were in that service, all right? Very challenging. Uh, I think there's sometimes, I, I think half the battle is understanding where you are before you can get where you need to be. Amen? I think a lot of times we just don't want to be honest about where we are who we are And So that morning message is going to be a very challenging thought. I encourage you to stay. Luke 18, you may remain seated. I'm going to read a few verses. The Bible says in verse number one, and he, that's Jesus Christ, spake a parable unto them, his disciples, to this end. In other words, for this purpose, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. I just want to just take that little thought. We won't get very big into the parable, but The Lord wants men and women, boys and girls, to be people of prayer, not simply people of busyness, not simply people of labor, but he wants us to be people of prayer. And notice the reason why, that we do not faint. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this little thought this morning and how I pray you would use it in our hearts. For the one among us who may not even be saved, they have a religion but no relationship with you, with your son. We pray this morning you would tap their heart about that need. They would come to know your son as savior. And Then, Lord, for each of us that are saved, help us in the busyness of America to recognize that our spiritual strength does not come from doing, but it comes from being. Help us, Lord, to sit at your feet, Lord, to rest upon your word to walk and talk with you and with your son. May we be people of prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. I need to remind you this morning that the strength of our Christian walk rests upon prayer. You and I need to recognize this morning that the recipe for revival includes prayer. 2 Chronicles 7 says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and, say it again, and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. A lot of people say to me, well, revival, everybody talks about Revival. I'll be tapping revival a little bit in the morning message and a great revival that took place in New York City in the 1800s that very few people are aware of. But a lot of times people say, well, revival, it's for our nation. You know, all revival has always been localized. Did you know that? The New York City revival was a local revival that moved beyond its parameters somewhat. The Welsh revival, the turn of the century, hundreds of thousands of people from Wales were saved. That was just kind of... There in that nation. Do you know that tells me this morning that your church can have revival before America has revival? Amen? Well, that tells me this morning your family can be the object of revival before the church even has revival. Amen? Are you with me? I mean, we always, I don't know what it is. We want to make revival this big thing that just sweeps everywhere. Well, how about just starting with us? That means if all revivals were localized, then you could have revival. Amen? Amen? A crushing, crumbling, weeping, pouring yourself out before God and watching him change you. That can happen individually. I've seen it. You know, the strength of your Christian walk, though, rests upon prayer. The recipe for revival includes prayer. And I'm going to add this. The need of our hour today in this busy, preoccupied nation, Christians, Is prayer. Amen? And notice the inference that's found in our text. He says this that men ought always to pray and not to faint. What's the inference? The inference is this if you do not pray, you will faint. I remind you, we're not as spiritual as we think we are. I don't know if you've ever done this, I've had my little Devo my devotional time spent a little time in prayer you know going through the list and then five minutes in rush hour traffic and all my spirituality is gone and has been squeezed out of me ever so quickly listen we're not as spiritual as we think we are and here's the thing. If you're going to be a non-praying Christian, if you do not spend time with the heavenly father, sooner or later the arm of flesh will fail you. It may not be the circumstances you're living now. It may be something yet to come, but your flesh will fail. You need his strength, not simply yours. Now, as we look at this thought on prayer this morning, if you have a pen, you might want to write this down. Prayer in simplest sense simply means to ask. But in a broader sense... It means this, prayer and worship. This comes right out of the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary. Prayer and worship is the following. It's a solemn address. You will not write this all down, so just catch the high points. It's a solemn address to the supreme being, and it consists of the following. Number one, adoration to God. Number two, confession of sin. Number three, supplication for forgiveness. And number four, thanksgiving and gratitude to God for his mercies and his benefits. Let me help you. It spells the word acts, A-C-T-S. The A is adoration. The C is confession of my sin. The T is thanksgiving to God for his blessings. And the S is supplication and prayer for others. You know, I've had a lot of people tell me, brother Dave, when I kneel to pray, when I get down to pray, I just don't know where to start. I don't know what kind of, you know, how do I d- You know that's a great outline to follow. Begin with A, adoration to the Lord. Let's 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 make that black and white statement color. Let's just turn it color now. Lord, thank you that you're righteous, not unrighteous. Lord, I give you praise for the fact you're a God who cannot lie. My eternity is banking on your book and your word that you're a God who cannot lie. Thank you, Lord, that you're a holy God, not an unholy God. Thank you that you're merciful. Praise the Lord. Thank you for the fact you're a loving God. And Father, after all of that, thank you that you're a God who changes not. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and find out you have had a schizophrenic moment and now you're no longer everything I just listed. I am so grateful that forever and ever you change not. My soul rests on that foundation. Man, that's adoration. Begin by just praising him for who he is. And as you do, the next point comes so automatic confession of sin because everything we adore God for is usually the opposite of who we are. Where he's righteous, oftentimes we're unrighteous. Where he's a God who can't lie, we oftentimes fudge the truth to try to make ourselves look better. You know what I'm saying? Where he's a God who is patient, we're impatient. Or he's a God who's long-suffering, we're, we're not long-suffering. He's holy, we're oftentimes unholy. You confess your sin. Amen? And then the T, thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for the good things. Thank you for the bad things. Amen. Thank you for the trials. And then S would be supplication for others. Lord, so-and-so needs your help. They need your patience, Lord. They need your provision, you with me? Normally, all we do, we just sit down and what do we do? Just go straight to the prayer list and we go, we bypass a, adoration, we bypass confession of sin, we bypass thanksgiving. God inhabits the praises of his people, not the grumblings of his people. Amen. And then we go right to supplication, just like a waiter, just ordering off the menu. <laughs> help, 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 help. Please give me. All right? Prayer is more than just something we do. It's our very heart in a communication relationship with a loving heavenly Father. Amen. So as we go back to our text, look in Luke 18. In Luke chapter 18, it says in verse number one, he spake a parable unto them to this end, for this purpose, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now his specific parable is dealing with a widow who's insignificant, but gets a voice with an unjust judge. And what he's wanting us to see is that he is not an unjust judge. He's a loving Heavenly Father. Amen? He wants us to recognize we have access to him. We're not insignificant. But I want you to pause because there's a second parable he gives, and that's the one right now I want to focus on because I think it's what we we miss sometimes. Let's picture we're going to meet with a king right now. All right? We're going to have an audience with a king. Guys are going. We're all going to go ahead and have an audience with King. One, we're all lining up, and one at a time, we're going to have an audience with a very powerful King. What should your attitude be? What would be some attitudes you would have coming before this all-powerful King? You're having an audience with a King. Somebody said, "Well, first of all, you would be. You should be this." Just raise your hand. Just raise, Yes, sir. Humble, right? Would you agree with me? You're going to have an audience with a king, great power, great authority. First thing you got to do is be humble. You're not going to go strut in the palace. Yo, king, you know, y'all with me? That ain't the attitude you approach an all-powerful king with. You say, but whoa, 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 you know, I'm saved now. Yeah, but Hebrews talks about that. Hebrews talks about we're not come to that mount that burns with fire, but we're come to Mount Mount Zion. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of that whole thing, he says, we ought to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Why? Our God's still a consuming fire. The mountain may change, but his character hasn't. Amen? So we want to approach him with humility. What would be another characteristic? You say, I would want to come to him humble. I would want to come before him. Yes, sir? respect. Respect. There would be humility. There would be respect. I, I, I chose this word. I would come to him in honesty, not trying to con him, especially if he's a king that knows everything. I mean, he's read all my emails. He's seen every Facebook post. All right, he's he's, recorded, he's had recording devices all over my house. He knows everything I've said. He's known every attitude I've had. He knows everything I said about the preacher. He knows everything I said about everybody else, right? He knows all. He's used every word, every idle word, right? So I'm gonna come before the king that literally has it all recorded. You know what? I'm going to come to him pretty honestly. I'm going to come to him in honesty, humility, respect, and sincerity. Amen? Look at this in Luke 18. Just such a moment occurs, two men go up into the temple to pray in verse number 9. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Look at this. He says, Two men went up into the temple to pray. Here are the two men. The one, a Pharisee. He's the religious ruler of the day. The other, a publican. Who's the publican? He's a Jewish tax collector. He's hired by Rome to fleece the chosen people, his own people of their money, to charge extra, pocket the difference, and Rome will back him. He's the IRS agent of the day. Okay, so you have an independent Baptist preacher and an IRS agent come to the house of God, take a knee and pray. Who would you put your money on that their prayer would be heard? (laughs) The IRS agent. (laughs) Well, look look at what takes place. Verse 11. Two men go to pray. Verse 11, watch this. The Pharisees stood... I, that's interesting. He's standing. You see the lack of humility there. And he prayed thus with himself. His prayer never even made it to heaven. You ever done that before? I remember one, one time my wife and I had a bit of a tiff. I know your marriage never has those. No disagreements whatsoever. Just heaven on earth, perpetually, at least when people are around. And so my wife and I had a little tiff, and before we could get things settled, the preacher picked us up to go out to lunch or supper that night before church, wherever it was. So here's the pastor and the pastor's wife, and Deb and I, and you know, smoke is coming out of our ears. We're not happy with each other one bit, but you know, we know how to smile and say what you're supposed to say. And so as we sit down to eat, of all the things the preacher asked me to do, he asked me to pray and ask the blessing on the food so I remember I I know how to con the masses so I prayed the prayer you know said what I was supposed to say gave it the right inflection and I remember when I finished praying my wife she was steamed at me she did this (sighs) (sighs) trying to blow it to heaven you know (laughs) she knew that thing didn't go anywhere man it just bounced around with me and i never forget, the preacher looks at me and says, what? what's up with your wife? You know, I just ask, ah, she's off her meds. You know, that. that was, you know. <laughs> I mean, there are times we just say our prayers and we're just praying with ourselves. That's what this guy did. He's just talking to himself, thinking he's, he's getting through to the Lord. Look at what's said here. He said, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. And here's his 34-word prayer. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Extortioners unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Five times, it's all about him. Look at the response here. The publican, verse 13, standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. He's just ashamed of who he is. Look at that posture of humility. and He smote upon his breast saying this seven-word prayer, God be merciful to me a sinner wow a flowery 34 word prayer that's all about himself and a short 7 word prayer that's all about who he really is before god you know after that prayer look at what the lord said the lord said here what the he said god he said i tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other You know, this morning, when you and I think about our approach to God, it's got to be like Him. We've got to come to Him honest, sincere, and real. And when you come to Him in prayer, it has to be the same way. How did your Christianity begin? How did your Christianity begin? Remember the thieves on the cross railing against the Lord? And then one of them had a change of heart. He said, well, hey, wait a minute. We indeed justly, we receive the due reward. We deserve what we have coming. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Our Christianity began in honesty and sincerity. The song says it best. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. What is that approach to God? You know, we were just dirty, rotten, wicked, filthy sinners. That's who we were that needed a Savior so desperately. Amen? You know, if that's how your Christianity began, and just honesty, just being real, that's how it's got to continue. Amen? Amen? because it'll be very honest and real when we get home to heaven one day. Amen. I mean between those two points, it ought to just be kind of the same thing. And in the area of prayer, I've got a question this morning. What's the best place to be honest and real with God when it comes to prayer? I'm going to give you two choices. You chew on this. Public prayer or private prayer. What's the best place to be real and honest with God and totally transparent? Public prayer? Or private prayer? You say, public, pr- uh, we'll start, private prayer. How many of you believe private prayer would be the best place to be real and honest with God, amen? Anybody believe public prayer would be the best place to be totally transparent? <laughs> okay, I know, all right. I, I'm gonna tell you something. The Lord puts a great emphasis on prayer life in a certain place. Go to Matthew 6 and watch this. In Matthew 6. He puts a very great emphasis on private prayer. Much, much greater than public prayer. Not that he doesn't want us to pray publicly, but he puts a great emphasis on private prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, look with me, verse number 5. The Lord says this in Matthew 6 and verse 5 in regards to your prayer life. He says, but thou when thou prayest. Go back to verse 5. Matthew 6, 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they, they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. He said, Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, now he's talking to his disciples here. When you pray, enter in thy closet. and When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall. Reward thee openly. You know, the Lord seems to put a great emphasis here beyond the motivation on private prayer. He seems to say, and he's not saying don't pray publicly. He was actually saying if you're going to pray publicly, you have the right attitude. It's not to showboat. Amen? Amen. There is value in public prayer. I love going into a restaurant and watching a family bow their head. And while everybody just totally gives no thought to the blessings, they pause and thank God for the food. I like that. I love that public public testimony. I don't believe the Lord's saying don't do that. I believe what he's putting is the emphasis is on private prayer, and here's why. Public prayer can become a performance. Amen? You all with me? Take your pens. I want you to just jot this down. What are the advantages of private prayer? What are the advantages of private prayer? Now, D.L. Moody said this. He said, he who makes long his prayers in private will make short his prayers in public. There's not a lot more to pray about. We've already got that all covered. We're walking with the Lord. You know what I mean? We don't need to put a big show on. But the very first thing... That's a great advantage to private prayer that you can't get in public prayer is you can focus on the Lord without distraction. Write that one down. You can focus on the Lord without distraction. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. You know what happens in public prayer? There's distractions. Let me give you an example. Whenever I pray publicly, though my focus is i would call it vertical, oftentimes there's a diffusion horizontally i 'm aware you're listening, amen. So what happens is because I know you 're listening to me praying that oftentimes I say things a certain way to include you, and I don't want to mess up my prayer and You know, without realizing it, sometimes it becomes a performance. You with me? It can become a performance. We worry about what people think about what we just prayed. But you know the prayer closet? There's nobody in there but you and the Lord. You don't have to politic and posture with him. He already knows everything about you. Amen? And it's very easy to begin to focus on him without distraction. You with me? How many of you seen the movie um, War Room? War Room. That was well done, actually. That's one of the few I would say, man, that was well done. That was gritty. That was real. It wasn't Pollyanna'd up. It was real, and, and I thought that was well done, and I rarely mentioned some cinematography from the pulpit, but I, I just felt like if you haven't seen it, I, it's just one of the few I have ever Recommended. The hiding place, Corey Tenboom, I would recommend that one. Hollywood got that one right. There's a couple out there. A lot of them are say, yeah. But it's gritty. Hey, the very first thing you can focus on the Lord without distraction. Number two, write this one in. Private prayer allows you to name your sin audibly. Private prayer allows you to name your sin audibly. Now, there's some religious groups. It's the name for that is auricular confession, all right? Into the ear of a priest. I believe in auricular confession into the ear of a priest, but a great high priest, not an earthly one, all right? Because there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus, according to Timothy. And so I believe in auricular confession into the ear of my great high priest, through my high priest to my heavenly Father, Amen. And let me tell you something about private prayer. You can name your sin audibly. You can't do that in public prayer. Let me rephrase that, you can do that in public prayer. But wow, are people gonna be buzzing afterwards? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like those three preachers out fishing. You remember that one? And While they're out there fishing, uh, one of them says, you know guys, we're out here all by ourselves. I just gotta admit something. He said, I, my sin, I have a secret sin and I'm just taken with money. And I've been kind of taking some of the offering off and skimming it. And it's just, I hate to do it, but that's just my sin. I, I really struggle with it. And so they're silent for a while. And the second guy says, well, being we're confessing, he said, let me tell you, I've got a real problem with lust. And he goes on to describe all that he has to deal with and so forth. And they're all waiting for the third preacher. He doesn't say anything. And finally, he pipes up. You know, guys, he said, my problem is I'm a gossip. And I cannot wait to get off this boat and tell everybody what I've heard. You Woohoo. Know? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Too near the truth, you know. You know, I believe that when it comes to sin, Public sin should be confessed publicly. You deal with a common report. If somebody's whoring around and shacking up, you deal with it. If they want to make it public, you make it public. All right? Y'all with me? Don't go so quiet on me here. We're talking about church membership. We're talking about those in the assembly that can make or break the testimony of this assembly. They say they represent the Lord. You don't let leaven in like that. It ruins the whole lump. You know what I'm saying? So, So public sin, if somebody's living a public sin life, they need to confess it publicly when they get right. And that's not to be mean. That does them a great favor. I've seen it not done, and it messes them up. It messes them up. There's a clean break in the heart. There's just a clean break when you go public like that. Private sin ought to be confessed privately. You with me? I can't handle all your private struggles. Don't be whispering them in my ear, man. They're going to mess me up. You can't handle mine, but I know someone who can. Amen? And there is great power in private prayer prayer to say your sin audibly, to to label it, to give it the label that it is. You know, we love to sin wholesale, or we love to sin in detail and confess wholesale. Think that one through. We're very specific in our sin life. We time it. We meticulously do things. We make it. We're just very focused. We love to sin in detail and then confess wholesale. Lord, forgive me my sin. Learn to confess in detail what you commit in detail. And learn to do it audibly. There's power in that. Amen? Amen? Private prayer allows you to do that. Public prayer won't allow that. So private prayer allows you to focus without distraction. It allows you to name your sin audibly. Thirdly, write this one down. Private prayer can build your faith. Private prayer can build your faith. Notice what he says here in Matthew 6 and verse number 6. He says, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. Look at this. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. That's a faith-building moment. No one knows the need except your heavenly Father. Amen? You know, I think sometimes, sadly, most of our prayer request times are sometimes just big hint sessions. We want everybody to hear so they answer our prayer, whatever need we may have. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have that, but I'm just saying sometimes we hint around. Missionary letters can be that. I know that they have needs, and we don't know about them, but... Sorry, brother. I'm there with you, too. I'd send out letters. But here's the thing. I guess what I'm saying is we ought to experiment and try out our God. He's real. He's sovereign. He knows who you are. You don't have to arm-twist him. You know what I'm saying? I remember hearing the humorous story of Johnny. He's at breakfast, getting ready to go to school, and he's got his cereal out, and he's about 10 years old, and his mom says, go ahead and pray, Johnny. Thank the Lord for the food. And his birthday's coming up. It's just a week away. And so this is how Johnny prays. His mom's doing the dishes, and he says, Lord, thank you for this food, and please bless, bless mom and dad. And, and Lord, um, I'd sure like a blue bag for my birthday. And his mom thinks he's going to be done. She's waiting. Then he gets a little louder. Lord, I sure could use a blue bike for my birthday. His mom's like. Then he gets really loud. Lord, I'd sure love to have a blue bike for my birthday. And his mother says, Johnny, God's not deaf. (laughs) He's sitting there with a little mysterious, impish little look. He says, I know, but grandma is. You know, you know. there's, your God's a real God. Quit acting like he's not. He sees and hears in silent secret places. My daughter Chandra texted me this week and said, Dad, God's been so good. I don't know. This has just been this and this and this. And she's got a young man in her life now that's a godly young man. And, and she's just so thrilled. She's 28, 29 years old and, She works down at Hope Children's Home on staff in Florida. God's been so good. Why? And all I did was text back, you're the apple of his eye. Jesus in you is what makes you special. That's a good thought. The day you get saved, you're no longer common. You're special. You're special to him. He's not just a God. He's your God. He's your father. It's even better. He's a good dad, not a bad one. Amen? His default setting is goodness. You ought to journal things. You ought to write things down that no one else knows but you and your father and spread those before him. Private prayer gives you that. Public prayer won't. Amen? And then, fourthly, I wrote this one down. It's got to be said, private prayer discourages bitterness. Private prayer discourages the spirit of bitterness. Let me illustrate. You ever had an attitude with somebody? <laughs> you have one now. <laughs> you know, But you ever had an attitude with somebody? And I don't know if you're like me, but I have this tendency to build a case in my mind. I get an attitude, some inference, something they said, something they did. And then pretty soon, I'm looking for more evidence. Yep, there's another piece. Boy, did you see, hon, did you see how he looked at me? You with me? You build this case. Pretty soon, you've got this person hung out to be crucified, drawn and quartered. They hate you. This is their setting. You haven't seen them for about a month, but man, this thing is, this is it. And then all of a sudden, you just turn a corner in a Walmart, and oh, there they are. And they pause and say hi and they're treating you well and you have a great time talking and some of the bitterness seems to go away. And and then when you walk away, you say, what was I so torqued about them for? I just had a good time with them. They're not as bad as I thought they were. Yep, raise your hand if you've ever had that experience. Please don't leave me out of here hanging. I've done it. Amen. Just a little time with them tore some of your case down. And let me tell you something, a little time with the Lord will do the same thing because he's a long-suffering Savior. And as you lift them up and name them by name in prayer to the Lord, some of that bitterness always disappears. It's hard to be bitter with someone you're praying for. Don't look at me like I've never been through this. I've been through this many, many times. It's a human experience, amen? And so private prayer is the place of power. It's the place we can be honest and real before the Lord without distraction. We can name our sin audibly. It helps build our faith, and it discourages bitterness. You say, well, what's the best place to begin my private prayer life? Go to Psalm 139, and I'll close with this. The psalmist knew where. Look at what he said in Psalm 139 in verse 23. Psalm 139 and verse 23, I call this the prayer that God always answers. This is the prayer he'll always hear. This is the prayer he'll always respond to. Notice it in Psalm 139 and verse 23. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. Wow, this is the prayer your God will always hear. He's not always going to hear all the petitions Ie give them his instant attention, but this one he will. He is more than willing to deal with your heart, to show you your ways, to point out what's wrong and then lead you in the way everlasting. And you know, as I close, go back to our text in Luke 18 and notice his desire is for you and me to be people of prayer. In Luke 18 and verse number one, he says this. Says, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, for this purpose, what? That men ought always to pray and not to faint. Corey Tenboom said it this way. The devil smiles when we make plans. He laughs when we get busy, but he trembles when we pray. If that's true, and Corey would know that, surviving the Holocaust and all that she went through, if it's true that the devil smiles when we make all our plans, that he laughs when we get busy, but he trembles when we pray, I wonder in your life, my life, how much spiritual trembling in the powers of darkness takes place because we spend time with our Savior in prayer. If there's a weakness in American Christianity, this one's it. Learn to turn the electronics off. Learn to tune the world out. Learn to rest with your Savior. And with the Bible open, spend some time with him. There's power in prayer. Father, thank you for this thought. We pray that you would use it. Lord, I know in the busyness of life, the devil would love to snatch this away. But even if there's one here today that even now is purposing and making plans to tune the world out, on a daily basis, for a period of time to spend time with you. I pray, Father, that you would help them follow through. May it not simply be good intentions. Help us not to just be hearers, but help us by your grace to be doers of thy word. Help us to be people of prayer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Lord bless you. You're dismissed.